0: Welcome to NaturalPod Live and our discussion around how student life informs equitable student learning space design. NaturalPod has a deep commitment to creating supportive healthy educational environments that are beautiful spaces that inspire students and educators. And we're excited to be here on NaturalPod Live where we interview education leaders who share their personal stories behind the challenges and opportunities of creating exceptional learning environments to gain real insight and inspiration to what's really possible. My name is Brigida Lomez, and I am the CEO and founder of Naturopod and thank you for being here. We are thrilled to have you join us today. And a quick note to our audience, you can leave comments and questions in the platform you're watching on and we'll address them towards the end of the show. I'm excited to welcome Jill Akers-Clayton, senior learning designer, at Fielding International to be here with me today for what I am sure will be an exciting and inspiring discussion. Hi, Bridget. Thank you
1: so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. It's um, an honor to get to talk with you and and um, I enjoy every conversation we've ever had.
0: Wonderful. To <laughs> well, it's, the honor is mine too, Jill. I'm excited to go deeper with you today. So let's start with uh, one of the key sort of challenges we're seeing out there, which is when learning environments are created without student participation, we see lower levels of engagement and adoption. And when they are involved, they take ownership of their learning outcomes and experience by being engaged in the discussion. So to get us started, Jill, I'd love you to share with the audience today why you do the work you do and what fuels you, what fuels your fire to get up every day.
1: What a great question! Um, I think what fuels my fire um, is—you know—I can recall the first time I was suspended from school was in kindergarten, and um, you know, struggling with uh, not being the neurotypical and not being able to sit still. And um, I had a, a deep sense of curiosity, and I was consistently the kid who asked why and and challenged and. Um, uh, was you know disciplined in ways because i wasn't compliant and Mm -hmm. that went through almost all of my education um you know i used to um ditch my um classes in middle school and go into the girls bathroom and unscrew the hvac vents and climb in and go listen to the interesting teachers um so i was really classified as a, a kid who wasn't smart you know i was a discipline problem i wasn't smart um and I, I talked too much, um, you know, I had ADHD, I was bored. I wanted to create and I wanted to use my hands and be outside and I, I wasn't allowed. And so that classification never left. It's still, you know, you're, you're challenged and you're pushed forward and propelled based on a currency of a system that's only focused on something that I didn't align to. And so, for me, um, my passion stems from really creating learning experiences for all kids. You know, the the challenging students, uh, the experiences, the lack of equity in our spaces. And so, my passion's really driven from um, not only one of the of having a passion for the outdoors, but also a passion for um, really humanizing education. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I think that is, that really speaks true for me too. It's, uh, you know, I love dance and movement and sitting still for me is something that's very challenging. Um, Having access to nature, and as you can see, I've got a beautiful forest right behind me right now and I know you're calling from us with a snow-covered backyard that you shared earlier. And uh, I really think that knowing what we need to be in a safe place to learn and to really flourish is what really brings us uh, alive. So yeah, I thank you for sharing that. So what do you think are the steps that we can build to create more of an equitable future around student engagement and student voice?
1: Um, gosh, there's so many, there's such a variety <laughs> of entry points for that question. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think um, partly is looking broader than just um, a basic standard but really looking at what are the um, social and emotional and holistic mm-hmm. um, inspirations, which is um, a word that I love that you use quite often, um, you know. but what truly inspires kids as they learn. And I think that we're in a, um, a, a challenging time in all of our lives that's collectively shared that COVID has taught us that um, we aren't gonna necessarily meet all of those standards our whole life. But what are the things that we're going to need? Empathy, compassion, understanding of diversity, understanding of different cultures and values, and that the the language of education has to go deeper than um, just a grade. And I think when we, we look at equity, we look at it from a holistic standpoint and reimagining space and reimagining the delivery model that we use in those spaces um, really allows kids to be dreamers and Mm -hmm. curators of their own future with their gifts and not trying to fit into um, just one thing because that's what school's always been. I think that changes the face of equity.
0: Yeah, it does, and it it does face it faces the challenges about, so what are the, um, the actual questions that you love to ask students to hear their voice? If you were to think about those and to share with the audience today, what are those types of questions you would ask them?
1: Um, I would ask them to dream up anything they wanted, where they wanted to learn, when they wanted to learn and where. You know, I, um, I, I get even from our high school students all the way down to our preschool students, I want time just to be able to move around. I want to feel like I can go to the bathroom on my own and not have three bathroom passes a week as an elementary school student. That's all you get. You have to sit in your chair. Um, You know, how do we make this real for kids when they think about their future and asking them to dream about what um, their gifts are and how those gifts could be realized in a space, whether it's a virtual space, um, a caregiver space in nature and I think, um, you know, asking them to what inspires them.
0: Mm. What inspires them? And we've we talked about that actually recently mm-hmm. what really inspires students. And it's not just about the space that they're in, but it's the whole learning environment from the entire school, indoor and outdoor. And, um, you know, when I think about that, I go, well, when is the right time to ask them from in your experience? When is the right time to ask them about what they wanna see and what inspires them to really bring that into the design process?
1: I think there's so many layers. So if we're doing um, school design from an architectural perspective, right. yes, right in the very beginning, their voices should be um, the ones that are heard, the voices that are not heard, the ones who are um, pushed to the side, or don't get that equity, that they're not heard. We have to create the space and hold the space to ensure that in the very beginning, their voices are in the forefront, all of their voices, mm-hmm. and then from there, I think that's the key to community engagement. Is if the kids are engaged and they're seeing school in a different way, it gives us the opportunity, or gives a community the opportunity to say, "Wow, we can look at this in a different way." Um, and then, if we're looking at it at a classroom level we're not at a, a design or a master plan or a furniture reimagining um, experience, we as teachers can start the year with a blank slate in our classroom. I mean, I do have one tiny little aspiration is to put like the dollar store here out of business because if I have to take down another owl or troll or those things are great and they're cute, um, but where is the thinking? Where is the ownership? And so to me, that process has to begin day one of any experience, because when I walk into classrooms, for the most part, and I've said this for many years, 90% of the creativity belongs to the teacher and 10% belongs to the student. And if we don't truly flip that from day one, they never feel ownership. They open the, they walk into a classroom and it's the teacher's classroom. And when we ask kids what inspires you in your classroom well when my teacher gets to decorate her classroom the way she wants that's a real loud alarm like those are sirens going off that that's not about ownership and i think that that's a a key point it's got to be from the very start
0: yeah from the very beginning and i guess how do you um how do you share with you know with our audience today how do you build a case for having student input into their learning space design. How do you build the case, the adoption, the excitement from the educator to the um, administration? How do you, you know, what do you think of some of the things that, that you've done that have worked and that haven't worked before in creating that case? Sure.
1: I, I mean, I could probably share a ton of things that haven't worked because <laughs> that's what, you know, making those mistakes and, and growing in that. And I think that um, leading almost with what's strong. Sorry, we have a. A, a few dogs in the background. That, yeah. um, but I think um, one thing that uh, I was talking about earlier today with a, a group of architects and educators is we have to focus on what's strong first and then use that to help identify what's wrong. And then we can build off the strong to make it stronger. Right. And that to me is the entry point for anybody. What are the strengths and assets that the human, the school, the district, the space brings forward, and how do we strengthen that? And I, and, and working side by side, a lot of my work is um, spent with just partnering with teachers and co-creating what that learning experience would look like. And I've had a lot of teachers who are like, you want me to go outside and have my kids pick up twigs and pebbles and bring nature in the classroom and yeah. make a prototype? But then what happens is the same way we're teaching the constructivist PBL methodology, they're learning by doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that excitement for what is this or oh, I don't get it or the, the moment inquiry starts with a blank stare when you've got these kids, even high schoolers who are like, huh? Huh? Do you get it? Do you get what she's talking about? Those moments of inquiry. But I think the more we can strengthen those and go back to what inquiry really means, we're building um, a more engaged and high achieving environment for kids. Yeah. The, I do that answered your question, but I got off it.
0: Yeah, right. well, it, it did and it did. And I want to further sort of deeper explore around, um, you know, we all, you know, when you mentioned about creative learning, you know, from experience, we all learn from experience. <laughs> by feeling by hearing the dog in the background like we learn from that's the sound that they make that's what it feels like to pick up a pine cone or to go out in nature so when you're thinking about the experience of the student success was there a magical moment where you are like ah that is the best way to demonstrate why this is important to have student input from the very beginning do you have an example like that you can share with us
1: sure um I remember when I was a teacher, um, a middle school teacher, and I'm, I'm one of those who doesn't do things usually the traditional way. So I put up a map after college <laughs> and grabbed a couple darts, you know, and the first dart landed on Vail, Colorado. So I was like, all right, let's go pack up my car, sleep in my car a day or two kind of thing. <laughs> um, and uh, look, find a job at um, very much like an outward bound school in Colorado. Right. And um, they were like, "You're going to teach through your community. You're going to use project-based learning. You're going to teach algebra, pre-algebra, and um, you have to be out in your community every Wednesday." Mm -hmm. And I was like, "I don't know. I don't know. Oh, sure, I'll take the job. I need to eat." But little did I know is that impact um, would stick with me forever, because for many, math is not. What we use in everyday life, algebra, pre algebra. And that moment when we had the opportunity to go out with the Bureau of Land Management, and um, students used topographic maps to help identify elk scat and using the quadrant plane, the coordinate plane. And um, each student was given a portion within that quadrant to learn positive and negative numbers. And, and, um, what happened was the Bureau of Land Management used our students' data. It was really funny when I sent the letter home to parents. I'm like, your kids are going to be picking up scat, and they were like, what? And but when the Bureau of Land Management put those elk migration signs on the I-70 corridor, and those kids were like, I had an impact. I made an impact in nature, in on wildlife, and. It changed their ability to look at content in a contextualized way. If we want to talk about it in teacher speak or from that teacher happy place, but this was real. And that was that defining moment for me as a teacher when learning is real. And Mm -hmm. if I don't make it real, they're going to do what I did. And I would never want someone to feel shame and embarrassment in the learning process. So for me watching kids be active participants in their learning changes who they are forever and and my job I feel like is to help is to work with teachers to point out those those poignant moments that are really significant and that you can achieve content and mastery and um, and still do it in a way that's real and that people don't believe uh, those of us who go around the world and spend our time Thinking through this constantly, but when it happens for them, there's a um, a complete, you know, for lack of a better word, paradigm shift in who they are.
0: Yeah, it's a sense of like self confidence, self esteem. I can do it. You know, they're so capable and really providing that input. And I think that, to me, when you share that, I think we obviously we really value the similar things around those magical moments of when a child goes, "Look, that's I had input into that." That's my learning environment, or that's my sign that I created, or that's my piece of art that's on the wall rather than another formed piece of art. Like that is, that's a magical, tangible moment that is not defined by curriculum or structure or mm-hmm. a system. These are magical moments that are really created, and how the learning environment can really support the whole child in those opportunities. And, uh, I, you know, I think having deep, deeper, more meaningful learning that is what we can really, really, truly strive for. Mm -hmm. When you talk about sort of new scale projects, and I I guess, you know, for some educators that are maybe watching and listening today, um, thinking about, wow, this is a very overwhelming process to get my students involved, the community involved, community consultation, there's a a lot of back and forth to um, tackle a large scale, let's, let's take it, a large scale educational project from inception to, you know, um, systematic execution, which you talk about a little bit more in your in your background and your bio, but how do you do that? Like, how do you make it so does, it doesn't feel so overwhelming and more tangible and easy to digest?
1: That's a great question with a lot packed into it.
0: I know. <laughs> I love
1: it. So I think um, it, it's happened in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we can come in from the district level and look at it from the master planning format and then break it down into steps, you know, and look at the stages that people transition to and through as they go through this process. And so, um, you know, when we're going from inception, we really have to um, dig deep to craft an educational vision that goes beyond um, the building. It goes beyond the curriculum. It's really the confluence of those two items coming together and ensuring that it is a safe environment to learn, to take risks, to play, to build in high quality learning experiences. So all students thrive. And then every word in that has to be unpacked. So when we take something to scale and we want it to be systemic, we have to figure out what are the right steps um, we're doing it in one district in New York where we're taking small cohorts three years in advance of their new spaces. And we're taking the cohorts each through a three-year process to change their pedagogical practice. And that's the the trick is that it's about the long game, mm-hmm. not the short game. Right. And um, if we're going to value engineer the human training and the human element out of it, then we don't take things to fidelity. And I got that long game from, you know, Heidi Hayes Jacobs said that when we did our, um, from Transfer, um, Transformation and Gathering it last spring. And she said, you know, even through this COVID piece, it's about the long game. Mm-hmm. And for us, that's something that we really focus on is there are no short, quick, there are moments of small wins and early successes and low hanging fruit and all those great terms, but, if we don't design for the holistic experience, then we don't truly have the opportunity to impact the entire system with this kind of innovation.
0: Yeah, it is about the long game. There isn't any quick fixes here. There isn't any, okay, we're going to just do this tomorrow and make this magic happen. But there is, I wonder if there's something that... Um, you could share with you know, the audience around, you know how could you look at something differently tomorrow? How could you walk into your learning environment tomorrow and maybe start to really unpack, to listen, hear? What would be one sort of something someone could, could start tomorrow, knowing that it is about the long game, systematic change, obviously, in the long haul around design thinking, but is there something that you could share with the audience around that for tomorrow?
1: Oh, that's a good one. I love that. Um, well, I think um, the one thing I, I would probably say um, if I were working with elementary teachers, I mean, I could almost sort of level it out in a sense. Um, you know, if I owned my own classroom and I were working with elementary teachers, I would say, walk in your room on your knees. Take a look at your space from the height of your students. And do they feel ownership and I'll go back to what even I learned from you. Did they feel inspired by something in that space? And um and excited. And I think if they're not excited, I certainly can't imagine that their students are. And then I would ask them to pass that along to their students and then give their kids the opportunity, if you had this corner, what would you do with it? If you could take everything down or this space, what what would you put up? What would you do with it? What would you share? and then give everyone a chance to share a little bit of who they are and an ownership in that space.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think about that and I go, when you walk into a room, you know, any room, any space, indoor, outdoor, this is not just specifically about a learning environment, but any space that where learning can happen or unpack and unfold. And to always ask that question, am I inspired to be here? You know, what else do I need to feel creative or to, you know, unpack that inquiry? What are the elements that I need? And just by asking those questions and helping students to know that they have a bit of a choice, how Mm -hmm. remarkable would that be? Mm -hmm. How different would the spaces even look?
1: Right? Absolutely. I mean, I just, you know, when we talk a lot at Fielding International about the cells and bells and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that there are very few places in the world that you walk in and you lose all sense of choice. And, um, you know, when we talk a lot about equity right now, you know, I can think of those three places. I can think of the school building. I can think of prison. And I can think of the hospital. Mm -hmm. And if I think about the color and the joy and the light, and um, the sense of space in most of those places, they're not very inviting Mm -hmm. and they're really restrictive. And um, if we want to grow and we want to really think about the school environment, why do we always choose beige and white and kids have to file and funnel in and out of a corridor and that becomes the most traveled space? Um, How do we reimagine that, um, you know, when we think about places that we're safe in their nooks. There's places to gather around food. There's places to gather in the kitchen to clean and to cook and prepare. Um, there's large gathering spaces in our house, like a living room. Maybe it's right. in your studio apartment, but there's still a living room space. There are private spaces and, um, and there are nooks and there are vistas and views outside. And so when did we... Where in the last 100 to 200 to 300 years, we decide that the schoolroom has to look like the, you know, Prussian era war planning zone. And that a war room has to be this war room up by the administration, yet we don't give kids collaborative and planning spaces. And so I I think that really changes when you say to kids, look, this could be like our house. We spend a lot of time here together. What if we were to redo this space, even with high school students, we have done this. When you walk in with a teacher and that teacher doesn't own that space, what can we do to create safety and a space that values everybody's voice? And if we don't talk about that with kids, older kids, younger kids, adults, then are we truly educating or sending kids off with what we hope they were educated with. And I think that really makes an impact. And you don't have to own a space and decorate the walls to create that.
0: No. And I think you really hit something that's very close to my heart, which is I think most children spend more time in their learning environments than they do actually at home. Mm-hmm. So, how do we have that space to feel beautiful, inspiring, open, welcoming, to resemble the inner connection of home? What home really feels like, mm-hmm. and why do we have to wait till we're at home to feel safe, to have that nook and cranny to to read and to connect? It's why. I mean, right. I, I, mean I question everything. You know that about me, mm-hmm. already. we've learned that I about love it. Later. But I, I do think about that often, and I say it's not about. The latest and greatest. Mm -mm. It is about what makes that student, that um, individual learner feel safe in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: A lot of times their home might not be a safe place. That's right. You know, I mean, the first time I was ever beaten up by a student, it was because his home was not the safe place. Mm -hmm. And my reaction to him was sort of this, you know, straw that broke the camel's back because he only had one safe place and that was school. So how do, I, how do I shift my perspective away from, you know, what we want to do to achieve compliance versus what we want to do to achieve engagement. And, and that's a really deep and meaningful, significant piece for us to think about with kids who have the warm, loving home environment, or the sort of frenetic chaos loving home environment or the kids who have the frenetic non-loving home environment where for them survival and their next meal comes in that safe place. And I think that looking at it from that 360 degree view is is also something that, that we wanna bring in when we talk to kids about what's inspiring because they may not even know at that point because every day is
0: about survival. Right. It is about that holistic view, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's look to the future a little bit. And uh, this question was asked of me recently, and I kind of um, had some real fun with it. So let's see if we can unpack this one together. So, when you think you when you think about education in the year twenty fifty, um, what do you think it's going to look like? <laughs>
1: we just did this ac- activity this morning, which was fabulous. Um, <laughs> If just as the Disney activity were okay, if you get to be the dreamer, right, and you get to figure out whatever you want, and then you know what is it the realist that you might you know you get everything you want, but how do you make it happen? And you know if it were me, I, and I could pick what we wanted, um, I would have community community embedded schools. I would have open spaces. I would have children that are outside and don't have to fight or lose recess. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have class outside. I would have Um, opportunities to engage in the community, yes, um, creating safe and secure environments is absolutely a priority. But the environments that they get to interact in as they developmentally shift has to change. So if I were to dream that our schools become extensions of our communities, um, we just recently were um, designing a campus where it has a complete underground structure so on rainy days and in this environment or days that are 110 115 degrees these kids have an entire exploration structure underground that has slides and movement and they're not limited by you have to learn your math this way i'm not saying that learning math and learning reading and learning writing are not important but how to communicate those skills and the ways in which we allow students to interact with content, my dream is that that changes into something authentic and real by 2050. Mm
0: -hmm. It's not either or, is it? Mm -mm. It's yes and.
1: Yeah, well we could have so much fun playing with that. Like in my brain, I saw all these, you know, my brain inside is like just a bunch of post-it notes flying around and I'm like, oh gosh, if we could put those right here and that and build this, it'd be amazing. And and what would that do for the self-confidence of kids? And for the community structures that we aspire to, and that we're turning, um, you know, neighbors and neighborhoods into true community resources and changing the value of a building and that physical structure as the community asset and allowing that right. welcoming feel to go both ways. Because if you're an outsider into a school, high school or elementary school, there's no place to have, um, you know, we talk all the time about PBL, like you have to have experts and because you do, but we don't have any spaces for them. High school, you have to reserve a conference room and it could be busy for three weeks and then you only get it for 25 minutes and there are no other spaces to really facilitate interactions and dialogue between the outside world. So we've sort of kept and, you know, sequestered these kids and then there were like okay uh, goodbye and good luck you're mm-hmm. done but we've sequestered them away from all of those amazing experiences as well as our teachers you know we learn best when we learn from each other and right. we reflect best when we have quiet spaces where we can make meaning Sorry, I got off track again.
0: Okay. Not at all. Not and this is this is amazing. I love uh, I love how we can go off track. Actually, I think some of the the real um, the real essence of what you really care about comes through. Your passion is clear, Jill. Like that is something that um, is very evident in this conversation and in the ones we've had in the past as well. I think um, what I'm curious about and I'd love to learn more about is based on the work you're doing now. Mm-hmm. Are you feeling hopeful for the future? That student voice student engagement in the design process is being more widely adopted or do you still see that there is a lot more barriers and work that needs to be done for that to really have that deep integration for the long game?
1: I was working with an eighth grade teacher last night and he said do you really think that eighth graders can do flipgrid manage google classroom on their own? And he's a brilliant man. I mean, he has a PhD in physics. He's just um, amazing. Amazing. And we went through all of these steps and he's, and by the time we got done and the steps being, we had a second grade teacher coming in to visit in this one experience who shared, you know, her kids engaging in all of these processes and watching him be like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. and his system saying, give it a shot, we're ready. And I think that's what COVID has done is um, allowed us to see that kids actually have the skill sets and the values to survive. It's human nature, it's instinct. And um, when we put them in scenarios and we figure out how are they surviving and what they need to thrive, which is really our motto at Fielding International, it's all about all learners thriving. And Mm -hmm. um, they can tell you what they need to thrive. And they don't need a lesson on how to open Microsoft Word and how to save. Yeah, if that, hap- that stuff happens in real time, let kids figure it out and figure it out with them. But they really have the opportunity. And I do think that um, teachers are, because of what's happened over the last year, giving students more of a voice. We're allowing them to amplify because we've lost so many off the charts. You know, you can't you can't just take what you do live and in person in the old-fashioned model and throw it. Into an interactive, technology-based experience, it's not working, and we've lost a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. And they know what they need to thrive. And you know, entering back into this process, I see many more teachers, um, their flexibility, and their own compassion for the disruption. Yeah, is really um, you know anchoring some change in there and things that we can't go, yes, we all wanna go back to normal, but I think it's a different type of normal. Um, There's some things we wanna bring and some things that are gonna open the doors so that um, you know, disruptive innovation and positive disruption is great and is changing perspective and viewpoints for teachers and giving voice.
0: Yeah, absolutely, giving voice to that. But through disruptions, there comes incredible innovations and opportunities to think differently, mm-hmm. to be challenged by, well, now we're, we're, now we're dealing with something we weren't dealing with before. How do we execute the learning in a different capacity? Students, what do you think? What do you need? What's important to you? Mm-hmm. Um, and really knowing that they are capable of giving us that feedback and giving them room to um, provide that important support So I think when I think about that, I I really want to um, I would love to learn more about has there been a student that during your work, um, I know you mentioned about the signage back and when you were in the educational um, capacity as a teacher, but has there been a student recently that came up with an innovative, inspiring idea that you thought, I never thought of that? Like, can you give us some examples of that as well? I I mean,
1: I can think about it with my own kids, uh, you know, and, um, and going back to you, just because it's so fresh on my mind, you know, we get this piece of furniture to test from natural pod, you know, and it comes in all these parts and pieces. And, you know, I have, I have two very different children. One is very much a read the directions, very thoughtful. And the other one is a little bit more like me, like, Whoa, what can I do? (laughs) You know? You know, one's just like her dad, you know, right. one's just like her mom. And she picked up this piece of furniture. And she's like, "Huh, it could be this and it could be that. and You could do this and you could. And I'm like, oh, you sound just like Bridget. Like I looked at it as a footstool. And and even going back into this second grade class last week with, you know, my child's in fourth, but this second grade class and and saying you can create anything that you want. And she's like, well, that chair is a place for me to rest. That chair, well, it wasn't a chair. It was two books angled up on the side with a couple of other books stacked behind her. But to that, for her, it was a chair that her body could rest. Mm -hmm. And and I, I know it's not necessarily they've come up with something novel and new, but they've come up with something novel and new in their space. Right. that allowed them to feel safe. And even watching my own child, you know, we could turn that stool upside down and it's a boot dryer. And I was like, cause you know, we live in a snowy area, we're always drying our boots. So your stool as when you flip it over, you could put two sets of boots. Not that you really want to hear that. Um, but, um, <laughs> in the sense of, I don't know if I could answer that explicitly. I can think of high school students who are um, sharing their experiences that are going viral on right. projects that we're working on in New York. I can think of um, students right now in a district that I work with who are challenging their administrators through Instagram and really calling them out on their bad behaviors. And um, I say bad behaviors because that's what they said. Yeah. They they feel quite. They feel that they've been hushed shamed, their voices are not heard, and they cannot function within this space. So they've had to take it globally to get people to listen to them. And Mm -hmm. for them, that's a new and novel experience when they come from a very compliant, um, you know, college ready, you're going here kind of environment. And so, um, so I don't know if that's the necessarily new and novel and creative, but those are students that I've worked with that um, are changing their own lives with the, the space that they're creating around them, whether it's physical or
0: um, so emotional and social. I love it when I ask you these questions, you have the, you have so much, you have so many things you want to share. Right? We could be here for, yeah. for, for a very long time because I know that this is something that is deeply important to you and on many levels. And I, I, know, I know that the work you're doing in the world, it is essential. It is essential to have that discussion, to have that engagement, to look at the whole school design around system thinking, around student voice, student engagement, educator empowerment, you know, self-care of the educator and how we can help them to really thrive, not to survive, in their educational uh, mandates or curriculums that they, you know the curriculum that they have to support or you know administer in their work you know it's it's it is about thriving and i really i'm really excited about that mm-hmm. what's, what's next for you like tell me more about what's next and what are you really excited about in terms of the future
1: all of it <laughs> <laughs> i just feel so fortunate that um i'm involved in projects that um, are changing people's lives and impacting kids. And I get to, so for me every day to work with teachers and every day to um, fill up that cup of, um, I get to explore and make my own decisions. And by someone who's exploring something today and, um, you know, gives the freedom to take risks. So, um, you know, I we have lots of, projects going on. But I think, you know, if I had to pick one, it's where we're um, on multiple levels, designing with kids real things, real, true opportunities. Um, One of those opportunities is with you. There are other ones out there that we're doing that, you know, where kids feel like they're actually part of the process. Mm -hmm. And I think those are the projects that excite me the most when kids are not treated like tokens. Mm. And we talked about that the other day. I think that um, that ladder of tokenism and that, yeah, I get to hear your voice and that's great. And thank you for sharing and I'll weigh that heavily and not include it in my decision. Mm -hmm. I think that when we don't invite them in, um, you know, we lose the power to create generational sustainability around the stuff that works when we don't give them a voice. And so I think that to me getting to work in a, a variety of projects, you know, know—we're I'm very lucky that there are multiple projects. So for someone who has a brain like mine that never goes in a straight line, I get to sort of bounce around, which is really helpful. Um, everything is exciting. And I think um, being able to bring that excitement and understand how to multiply it in a way that helps the other person and not shuts them down has been um, a very exciting piece for me to really dig into in the last couple of years because I can be someone who comes in and I'm so I'm so excited about what we're doing. It can be yeah. overwhelming to others, and right. so how do I really meet someone where they are so that they can start to really grow and and we can tend to that garden and really you know plant the seeds for them. To me that's really exciting and that's the kind of change that's going to um, impact kids and their ability to thrive when teachers are given the opportunity to um, reevaluate and reflect on uh, what kids bring to the table.
0: Right. You know, I think that that is one of the key takeaways that uh, I'm going to be walking away with today, which is meeting people where they're at, how to help plant the seed so they can really flourish and grow from there. And um, to make a start, knowing that the choices that you can make today, even tomorrow, to make a start in terms of what inspires you, what inspires you being all students, mm-hmm. so not one student can speak for many, mm-hmm. right, so have multiple voices in the room, all yeah. age groups, all age ranges, and to really not to, um, to give their ideas an opportunity to really be big before they become small. Yeah.
1: yeah, I love that. I love that. That's kind of what
0: comes up for me uh, today. And um, But Jill, thank you so, so much. Like, it's always a pleasure to connect with you. Thank you for joining us on Naturopod Live today, and I look forward to our continued discussions. Thank you to our audience uh, for participating today and for your feedback and comments. We look forward to sharing with you more and uh, connecting with you on our next Naturopod Live episode coming up soon. Yay. Thank you so much. It's always amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Inspiring. Yay. My pleasure.
1: Thank you. Thank you.